to Ether Hour, everybody. I'm your host, Conrad Franz, joined as always by Dimitri Kalyugin. We have a fantastic episode for you today, diving back into some awesome history. Going to get pretty political today. You know, we're the we're the Theopolitics Prophecy World War III show, but today we're going to get into someone who we would definitely consider undergirds our political thinking. I guess that's how you could describe it. Dimitri, how are you doing? Doing great, Conrad. And of course, the hero of our story today perhaps wasn't even seen as a hero throughout his own life, you know, greatly overshadowed by the events surrounding his surrounding his life. And of course, mostly a slandered figure during you know, during his career, which was, um, you know, looking back in hindsight, he was probably the greatest advocate of autocratic monarchy and orthodox monarchy in general as a layman, you know, which yeah, if it may not be revealed to you yet, it is, of course, Professor... Konstantin Pobedonotsov of the Russian Empire. So, of course, the teacher of Tsar Alexander III, the teacher and mentor of Nicholas II, uh, the saintly new martyr Tsar, of course, the last uh, autocrat and Tsar of Russia, who was slain by the Bolsheviks, and their personal teacher and confidant, their main, uh, I guess, inspiration for exactly their political views and ideology, and you know, um, an absolutely tremendous figure in both their lives. And naturally, in the actual history of Russia, this figure, Pobedonosov, was, I suppose, instrumental in keeping Russian conservatism alive throughout the late 1870s, 1880s, all the way up until 1905. And then, of course, his passing in 1907, shortly after the um, short-lived but very tumultuous Russian-Japanese War and the Russian Revolution of 1905-1906. So Pobedonosov's career was quite long. Of course, the man lived 80 years, and he didn't see the last Russian Revolution in 1917. So he died around the same time as St. John of Kronstadt and some of the more notable, um, you know, people who didn't really see that great tragedy uh, culminate, you know, towards the early sort of decades of the century. But what can be said about him, right? He is an exceptional statesman, uh, but not really even, that wouldn't even be his talent. Primarily, he was known for his uh, legal education. So he was a law professor of St. Petersburg. He was born, he comes from a an old Moscow family. Traditionally, of course, his last name, Pobedonosov, may sound very, um, very uh, familiar to Russian speakers because it does it literally translates to victory bringer. So it's a pretty epic last name, and it's it's almost like you know being called John the victory bringer, or you know uh, it comes from Saint George, of course, and that's because his grandfather was an Orthodox priest in in Moscow during the. Uh, I think it was the 1700s, the late 1700s, and he was the priest of, of a parish uh, which was named after St. George Pabilonosny, which is the title Russians give St. George, and that's where the last name Pabilonosov came from, so literally because his grandfather was a priest. And Pabilonosov, naturally, his his dad uh, had a lot of children. Pabilonosov was the last, the, the youngest of 11 kids, actually, and his, his parents had him quite late as well. His mother was in her mid-40s. His dad was well over 60. He was basically his, almost like a grandfather through his own son. Pabidonosov grew up uh, relatively poor, but his father saved up enough money to send him to probably the best law school in the country. From Moscow, he was sent all the way to St. Petersburg, and he was uh, given away as a student to the Russian Imperial uh, Academy of Law, the School of Jurisprudence. And this, this was a pretty good school. Essentially, it was a very... Um, kids could go there between the ages of 12 and 17. It was like a high school, um, but it was basically a high school and a university crammed into one. So essentially you'd graduate at around 18 to 20 years of age and you were instantly, most graduates, if your marks were good enough, you were given a job. 
So university, again, back in those days was pretty uh, difficult to access. But if you could get in, yes, you essentially were propelled into the Russian imperial state bureaucracy almost instantaneously. They didn't, people didn't waste their degrees or these opportunities given to them, of course. So Pabidonosov, uh, you know, of course, did very well for himself. And you may think, like, who were his classmates? Obviously, he had very famous ones. I think a man who graduated alongside him was the famous composer, actually, Peter Tchaikovsky, the, the famous Russian composer, you know, known for his 1812 overture and the Nutcracker and Swan Lake and all of that. He, of course, was also a graduate of the same law school. And Pabidonosov, of course, had all kinds of, like, famous nobility in, in the school with him. And uh, he, him, he, him coming from a pretty, like, I guess, reg regular middle class Moscow family, he did find himself like a bit of a, a bit of an outsider. But this outsider sort of background did give Pabilonosov this outside, I guess, this abstract view of what Russia truly was. It's conservatism, Russian history, he understood very well. And of course, being from a priestly family, he understood what orthodoxy meant. And of course... The, the meaning of autocratic monarchy now that he was in the imperial city this is essentially um this is what he kind of grew up with and into his 30s of course that's when his career really propelled yeah and he um for all of those listening you know we have a big audience that are they consider themselves monarchists you know a lot of people i think in many ways even dimitri and i consider ourselves products of the you know the 2014 2015 at least online the 2014 2015 milieu of you know kind of a reaction against globalism and everything and konstantin pobodonosov he you know for somebody who was writing mostly in the late 19th century you read him and you kind of start to see i wouldn't even say early inklings almost the latest kind of the last push of someone on what today we kind of understand in meme form in like you know reactions to democracy you know, reactions to, you know, the problems of liberalism and globalism, a lot of reactionary thought has, you know, a lot of slogans, a lot of sayings about the false gods of democracy are in vogue right now as us in the West witness its, witness its abject failure, frankly. And Pobodonosov was one of the, one of the people most staunchly pushing, you know, into the 20th century, not just, you know, monarchy, not just autocracy, but autarkic, anti-representative, you know, he, he very much, he was one of the first people to really, really make it extremely clear, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, make it clear that democracy is just another word for oligarchy. In many ways, you know, you think of your Aristotelian forms of government, you have your monarchy, your ideal version, as opposed to your deformed tyranny, you have your aristocracy as opposed to your deformed oligarchy, and of course you have polity in comparison to your deformed democracy. And... He, he, of course, understood his Aristotle, he understood his Plato, he was completely well-read in Greek, he taught Greek, in fact, you know. If your name is Constantine in Russia, I feel like you're obligated to learn Greek, right? But he, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, he really was unwavering in his insistence on, on the autarkic state, the, the absolute power of the czar, and most importantly in that regard, especially for us, the relation of the church in that regard. And, you know, that's something that that's one, one thing we love and think could use even more of an injection into the modern right-wing space is how critical the church was, how critical faith is to this idea of the state, this idea of Russian identity under the czar, under the church. And, and for that, you know, he is, you know, we could consider him our, the patron academic, I guess, of World War Now if we were going to have one. But uh, I want to read a quick quote. You know, this is just from uh, something from about his early life. It says that 
Now, recalling Pobodonosov at the beginning of the 1860s, his fellow professor, B.N. Chicherin, wrote, He was a delightful man, quiet, modest, deeply devout, with a broadly educated and subtle mind, a warm and loving heart. His whole being bore the stamp of a remarkable sincerity, which could not help but draw people to him. And this, it goes on, this isn't a letter, this is this, this description. Pobodonosov grew up in a large patriarchal family, in which his ten brothers and sisters were much older than him. From childhood on, he was withdrawn and solitary, accustomed to hard work, passionately devoted to reading, and unusually attached to the church. Were it not for chance, the high official and literary specialist E.M. Feoktostikov remarked of Pobodonostiv, he would have been a remarkable scholar or literary figure. Later, Konstantin Petrovich, that's Pobodonostiv, uh, nostalgically recalled his solitary studies when his life was carefree, calm, untroubled by anyone in Moscow at his parents' home. So very much a, a studious student of, of, of everything, history, philosophy politics but yeah his the fact that he was such a strong legal political thinker and leader at the time but at the same time was so dedicated to the church i think that's why his political positions were so strong in the face of what at the time was very much looming socialist liberal revolution yeah naturally the liberal disease has reached so far into russian society and of course it already took over central and western europe so all countries were struggling with it but of course this disease was piercing into russia and through different avenues you had leo tolstoy who was beginning to gain popularity at the time and he was pushing a bizarre sort of like like a conservo national anarchist vision for russia where you know he was advocating even against the tsar against any you know a very pacifistic view for those who know leo tolstoy you know the famous author who wrote war and peace and uh, Anna Karenina and all those novels, naturally very, very um, astute genius, literary genius of sorts, but again, a, a big opponent of Konstantin Pobedonosov ideologically. And you had, of course, the socialists and communists and uh, those who we spoke about on a previous episode, essentially people from the Pale of Settlement who caused terroristic acts and naturally even had liberals amongst even some of the, to the point where one of the uncles of the Tsar, of course, uh, Grand Prince Constantine, the son of, uh, the youngest son of uh, Tsar Nicholas I, was a, a pretty much a staunch, you could say, reformist liberal. Even though he he didn't hold any major offices besides being a major naval admiral, he he did have very liberal views, and he of course hung out with very liberal people in Saint Petersburg. So there was a great liberal, um, you can say, brewing bureaucracy in St. Petersburg at the time. And of course, somebody like Pavidonosov comes along in his uh, 30s, and suddenly he's, thanks to the Count Stroganov family, he was there. Uh, he was the tutor of their children. You know, he was just tutoring them law in his, his in his early 30s. And suddenly the Stroganov Count said, well, look, you're such a great teacher. I'm going to recommend you to the Tsar. And Tsar Alexander II, once he met Pobedonosov, he obviously saw a very talented, uh, talented young university professor, and he said, "Look, you could teach my youngest children, Nicholas and Alexander III. You can teach them law." And of course, he began influencing these young heirs. And turns out, he almost became not just a, a legal teacher for them, but he began teaching them all kinds of things about Russia, about conservatism, the dangers of liberalism. Unfortunately, the the eldest heir to the throne, Nicholas, who you know, Nicholas, the son of Alexander II, he died in, um, in a freak uh, accident, falling off his horse and, you know, the wound being in, getting infected. So the heir to the throne died and Pobedonosov's young sort of student passed away early. And the next heir to the throne was Alexander III, Nicholas II's father. And so naturally, Alexander III, who wasn't even po that popular at court, people saw him as a bit of a weird weird guy. He was pretty big, two meters tall. He looked like a Russian bogatir, like a Russian knight from some fairy tale. Uh, he was very straightforward as well. He wasn't the, you know, they they, blamed, they claimed he wasn't the brightest type of guy. Um, you know, he, he looked, 
he looked like a like a hero out of some novel, and Pobedonosov saw him for the straightforward orthodox ruler that Russia needed at the time, and so he actually spoke to him very nicely, and he taught him very, very difficult concepts simply. So we even have some of the books, actually, the, the legal textbooks that through which he taught Alexander III about liberalism, about monarchism, about what it means to actually rule Russia as an autocrat. And he essentially brought up Alexander III, despite all things, and Alexander III turned out to be one of the greatest Tsars of Russia at the time, you know, given his very short reign. But interestingly enough, of course, is that defense of autocracy and the defense of, you know, what most people in the West would refer to as absolutist monarchy. But naturally, in the Orthodox vision, vision there is no such thing as an absolute rule, because, of course, autocratic Tsars, they're not absolutist monarchs. They, of course, answer to their spiritual fathers, to the church, to church tradition itself. The Bible binds uh, these Christian rulers from actually trading against their own you know, Christian morals, ethics, and their, their conscience, after all. So naturally, there's no such thing as an absolutely unhinged ruler who doesn't have to answer to anything. But naturally, there is this trend, and Papidonosov really sets it. He makes it very, very clear that any democratic parliamentarian view, as Conrad said, was an infection, which of course came from outside of Russia. This is something that came out of France, possibly out of Germany, out of Great Britain, out of these places which were foreign. Now it may seem common to us, you know, we, we all think, we all see, for example, these overseas trends or perhaps even globalism or liberalism, Freemasonry as these overseas infections of the Enlightenment period. But back then it wasn't as clear. And in fact, people thought they could play around with these new ideas and perhaps even somehow en enhance their Russian or even modern, you know, orthodox realities with them, including clergymen and people in the nobility. Pabilonosov saw these things for what they were, and he tried to, you know, tried to act against them, and he held, he held very strongly. And naturally, his main position, of course, besides being the teacher of both Alexander III and Nicholas II, was his uh, his position in the, in the Russian Orthodox Church and in the Russian state. So he held the position of the chief procurator on the Holy Synod. At the time in Russia, right, Conrad, uh, there was no patriarch in the church. So the the Russian church was run by a council of bishops who had a representative layman uh, standing in amongst them, standing in amongst them essentially for the Tsar. So the Tsar couldn't always be present for the synod meeting. So there was a layman who the Tsar would place in his stead to essentially run affairs from the position of the laity. And that posi that particular person was Pabilonosov, and he ran... He essentially um, not only ran the, uh, the Holy Synod in Russia, so he ran essentially church affairs from an administrative uh, view alongside the bishops, but he was in this position for 25 years, which was the longest I think any chief procurator ran, um, was in this uh, in this held role. And, and this, of course, impacted mm -hmm. the church quite greatly, I think. And, you know, we'll read uh, some of his interactions with the saints from the day, but he he really held this big sway over orthodox uh i guess the the trends of the orthodox trends of the time and he helped of course progress the church quite greatly yeah and before we're going to get a little bit more into the role of the you know chief procurator and you know some of some of what he was doing at the time but you know before we head over to the other side of the paywall where we'll talk about some of his writings some of his political philosophies and very importantly his perspective on them boys which i'm sure many of you can imagine is, is is based but i want to read before all of that just before we kind of move on from his childhood you mentioned his interaction with the saints he interacted with many saints in his time and i think it's just important to note as well that you know people comment on russia's like lack of democracy or everything you know how it transitioned from the soviet union into this you know oligarch state briefly in the 90s now to just another kind of fake democracy autocracy again because look i mean 
Konstantin Pobodonosov were the type of people writing and influencing the top of Russian society up until the early 19th, early 1900s, like the early 20th century. So, you know, something like that doesn't just die out. And of course, then they got a totally different form of authoritarianism from the atheistic left. But in general, it just shows you the roots that Russia has and how sincere many of, you know, intelligent, educated, even westernized thinkers were very much, you know, they knew the traditions of the Russian people and that, you know, liberalizing and democratizing would only bring them ruin. But speaking of saints that he met, Saint Maria Skobstova, you may know her as Saint Maria of Paris. Uh, she met uh, Konstantin Pobodonosov in 1906, you know, a year before he died. She was 15 at the time. And uh, I'll read this really quick. It's a fantastic story, actually. It starts with, she says, the same affectionate look, the same greasy frock coat, the same interest in my interest. It seemed to me that in one moment, the issue would be resolved in favor of Konstantin Petrovich. That's Pobodonostiv. So this is a bit of a dialogue. Konstantin Petrovich, I need to talk to you seriously in private. He was not surprised, took me into his office and locked the door. What's the matter? How can I explain to him what's going on? You need to say everything in one word and get an answer to everything in one word. I sat opposite him in a deep chair. He looked at me intently and affectionately through his large glasses. She asks, Konstantin Petrovich, what is truth? Pobodonostov understood how many questions he covered. He understood everything that was going on in my soul. He grinned and answered in an even voice. My dear friend Lizanka, the truth is in love, of course. But many people think that the truth lies in love for the distant. Love for something distant is not love. If everyone loved his neighbor, the real neighbor, who is really near him, then love for those who are distant would not be needed. It's the same in business. Distant, distant and big things are not business at all, but the real things are close, small, unnoticeable. The feat is always unnoticed. The feat is not imposed, but in self-sacrifice and modesty. I then decided that Pobodonostiv did not pass the exam, and those who look at, looked at him from afar were right. He himself, apparently, also felt that something had broken in our relationship. This is our last meeting. Soon we left St. Petersburg to the south to our small town. Then my father died, then my grandmother died. I don't remember now when Pobodonostiv died. At the time of his death, I was again in St. Petersburg, but did not go to the funeral. And that was only, that dialogue was only a year before his death. And uh, St. Maria, you know, I think that was at a time when she was more perhaps inclined towards the, you know, the, the kind of elite perspective of the time. But she's recounting this story as someone who, having become a saint, was looking back on that as, you know, as something that was, was very positive. And we're, you know, we aren't necessarily making, we, we haven't heard as much about this as one might hear of, say, Kodrianu or of Tsar Paul I per se. But, you know, Konstantin Pobodonatsev, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily doubt he's in heaven, perhaps a... Perhaps if some revelation and miracles come to us, he may be, be a saint. But he was clearly at least ingesting the fathers and trying to live as an Orthodox Christian. And it shows that he's a harsh monarchist. He's an autarchist. He, you know, he's openly anti-democratic, anti-republican. Yet in his mind, what is the truth? Well, the truth is love. So it shows you that this idea that democracy and liberalization is all just about, you know, it's actually based in Christian love. That's, that's total nonsense. That will be it for that free preview of Ether Hour, everybody. Pobodonostiv, fascinating character, isn't he? In the later parts, we talk about a lot of his more controversial opinions and give a bit of a deeper dive and a discussion on autarky, his perspective against democracy, his relationship with many saints. We just read one, but there's multiple others. So be sure to tune in, subscribe, get behind the paywall. At this point, 21-plus episodes of premium content for you. It's really great stuff, and it, of course, supports the show. Free World War Now every week, so that comes at, you know, we don't just do that for free, so it really helps us out. So thank you so much for supporting, and God bless. Yeah, 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 yeah.